Hi, this is Austin Anderson. I'm the lead pastor of Tekoa Church. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Tekoa Church exists to see people connect to God, to find and live out their purpose. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and draws you closer to God. Well, good morning, Tekoa Church. Happy Father's Day. I'm excited for our time together today. I'm excited for this day as well. I've been thinking about Father's Day this week. And one of the things I was thinking about, just if you'll indulge me for a second, I was thinking about um, how on Mother's Day, the cultural norm, right, is that the guys get up early and they make breakfast for the wives and they bring them food in bed and like they just take care of them all day. And I was thinking about Father's Day, and I was like, how did we set this up, guys, that we do that for the women on Mother's Day? But on Father's Day, like, we're responsible for getting the meat, and then we're responsible for cooking the meat and providing the meal for the family. I think we, like, set this up wrong. Um, but I'm actually, I'm really grateful. My wife um, has taken really good care of me this weekend. My wife and daughter made some cookies homemade for me yesterday. They've been doing um, a great job. I'm excited for this day because um, it's my first Father's Day as a father of two daughters. Um, And so that is fun for me. I know some of you are excited for this day. Some of you, maybe this is a hard day for, and some of you are like, I don't even care about this day, but I'm here today. Um, And it's one of the hard things, um, even in the church, right? It's important that we acknowledge the importance of being a good father, but um, we all come from different places. And so my message today is not just for the fathers, it's not just for the guys, there's a message for all of us. We're in the second week of our Second Chances series, I got that out correctly, and um, I, Pastor Lauren did a great job starting this off last week, um, and I got to really spend a lot of time with the community as we blessed them with Viva Calle. Um, it was such a fun time to just show them practically the love of God. Matter of fact, one of the families in our church was helping serve with their kids last week. And they told me afterwards, they said, you know, our kids were asking, like, why do we do this? And they were, got that opportunity to share, like, because God has been so good to us, we want to share that love with others and show them how much, in a practical way, what, what a little bit of what God's love looks like. Well, we're starting our Second Chances series, and I don't know about you, but I am grateful for second chances in this world. Matter of fact, 10 minutes ago, I was grateful for a second chance because I was standing up there worshiping, and I spilled some coffee on my shirt, and I was like, I just happened to have a backup shirt in my backpack this morning. They will never know. You, I could have, like, gotten away with it. You would have never known. Um, but I'm grateful for the second chance of, you know, nobody on the video is going to be able to see that I, uh, you know, did that this morning. But I'm grateful for second chances. It's an important part of life. I'm grateful that God has given us all second chances. My message title today is Your Response Matters. Your Response Matters. That's what I want you to walk away from here today with, right? We all are going to mess up in life. We've all messed up in the past. We're going to mess up in the future as well. And I think one of the defining characteristics of us is what do we do in that moment afterwards? What is our response Because none of us are perfect, we're going to mess up. Whether it's by accident or on purpose, whether it's sin against God or just with our families, with our spouses, with our kids, with our co-workers, with your roommates, whoever's around you, we all mess up. And what I think matters most is our response at that time. What do we do when we screw up? What do we do? Our response in that moment is what defines us and our response is what matters most. 
Today we're going to look at um, David from the Old Testament. Now he was a father as well, but um, I think he has something really important for us this morning that we can learn from his life and his responses. He came right after King Saul, who started, um, you know, building the, the state, the country. It wasn't a country at that point in time. The people, the nation of Israel. He was building it, but Saul was really hasty to act. He gets in trouble time and time again. Matter of fact, he loses his throne because he just constantly took things in his own hands. He didn't wait for God. He didn't wait for other people. He just said, like, I'm going to make the opportunity and I'm going to take it. David, on the other hand, comes in. And, man, I read Scripture and sometimes I'm like, David, you waited so long. Like, the opportunity was there and you didn't take it. Why were you so slow? But David, he gets something, he gets a title attached to him. And the title attached to him is a man after God's own heart. And I think part of that is his patience and slowness to wait for God's clear direction and action in his life versus the king that came before him. And part of that also, I think, comes from his response when he screwed up. Because David was not a perfect king either. But I think his heart was in the right place at the end of the day. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I'm so grateful that we get second chances. Matter of fact, you know, sometimes, like I said, we do it on purpose. Sometimes it's an accident. I was going to tell a story about how, you know, I accidentally did something with one of my, one of my daughters that caused some pain, and it wasn't on purpose, but it was an accident. Um, And I have two daughters. The first one is Hannah, and we have some fun together. You know, we get to hang out. I'm teaching her to love food. We love going for pizza together and burgers together, and like, my wife doesn't really like those things, so I get to just, I'm teaching my daughter too, so I can, I can get more of them in my life. And my second daughter, Riley, is only four months old, and, you know, she doesn't interact too much yet, um, but we're just starting to enjoy life together, the moments that we get together. But before them, I had another baby in my life, and I want to tell you a story about that baby, my motorcycle. That was my first baby. And when I lived in L.A., um, I had this motorcycle, and I remember I was engaged to Allie at this time, and I, we were going to meet her for lunch, one of my good friends who also rides. But uh, before lunch, we went on a ride in the mountains. And I really remember this day because it was, it was a beautiful Southern California day. You don't have to keep that up there forever. Um, <laughs> It was a beautiful Southern California day, and it was like 75 degrees, sun was shining, and we're just going through the canyons in the mountains north of LA. I just remember like such beautiful like turns, and like that's why you have a motorcycle, for rides like that. And usually my friend would often lead because he was a little bit more daring than I because I had already gotten in an accident, you know, riding with him one other time, and so I was a little bit more reserved by this point in time. And, uh, but I ended up leading for a course through here, and I just, I took this turn, like, perfectly, and it just felt like I'm, I'm in the groove, I, like, this is perfect, and I look up as I come out of the turn, and there's just open road up the mountain straight ahead in front of me, and so I, I take this perfect turn, and life just feels perfect, I, I, I hit the throttle full open, two and a half seconds later, I'm at 60 miles an hour, and life is great until I hit that 60 And then the lights and the sirens come on. And I'm like, ah, the perfect day is just getting ruined right now. I don't know exactly what speed I got at. Um, That was my guess about how fast I was going. And I pull over to the side. And we actually have, like, radios in our helmets. And my friend's like, 
coming slowly by at the speed limit. Like, I'm going to go around the corner. I'll wait for you over there. Good luck. <laughs> and I just, I remember I pulled over and I'm like thinking as I'm waiting for the police officer to come up to me, like, how do I play this? Like, what, what, do I, what is my response in this moment? You know, do I like admit what I did? Like, do I try to play it off? Do I try to, like, what, what is my response? I ended up taking off my helmet and just being like, yeah, I screwed up. Like, I'm just going to own it. Like, this is, this is the moment that I, like, I didn't do it right. And so I was respectful. And there was a moment there where I'm grateful that I did what I did. And it doesn't always work out this way. But the police officer gave me a little bit of grace in that moment. And I got my ticket. But it was for way less than it should have been. And I got some grace in that moment. But I think part of that was right because of how I responded in the moment. I could have responded differently. I could have been really angry. Could have been so many different things. But instead, I was really respectful and I got what I got, and I had to live with it. David, he is a king, and he is going through Israel at one of the most, um, like, the best times in the history of this people, of the Jewish people. He's building the kingdom. He's building the country. He's a great warrior. He leads them to expand the borders. Like, life is good. He's probably supposed to be with his army, but instead, at this moment in time, he is back in his palace. He's back in, you know, just, just home, enjoying life. And when he's there, he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath and says, I want her for myself. And so he sends his people to her. Her name, he finds out, is Bathsheba. And he also finds out another important piece of information. Oh, she's married to this other guy. He says, I don't care. I'm going to take her anyways. So he does. He sleeps with her and thinks, okay, I'm moving on with my life. So she goes back until, a, you know, a few weeks later, there was no phone, so the messenger comes and, uh-oh, she's pregnant. Now what do I do? And then he starts thinking, what is my plan? Okay, my plan is I'm going to get the husband to come back home. Like, I'm the king. I can ask for whatever I want. I'm going to ask for him to come home. And he comes home, and he's going to come home, and he'll sleep with his wife, and then we'll just pass it off as his, and, like, we'll move on with life, and it'll be good. And so he starts to go with this plan. He's like, I'm already in the hole. Like, let's just keep digging myself deeper. It's going to be okay. So the husband comes home, and the problem is he doesn't sleep with his wife. So what does David do? He sends him back to the front lines with orders for him to be killed. Like, all right, I already screwed up. I'm just going to keep going until I come up with a solution to this problem. And that's where I want to pick up the story today, right? There's multiple messages I could preach about that whole backstory there, but that's where he is. So the husband dies, and David, he marries the woman, and they have the son. And after the son is born, and he thinks he got away with it, and life is good, it says in um, 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, and then he starts to tell this parable. So Nathan, what you need to understand is Nathan was a prophet. And this, a prophet is somebody that speaks the words of God on behalf of God to somebody else. So Nathan came to David on behalf of God. Matter of fact, this was Nathan's job. It was, a, it was a job that somebody could have at this point in time. So this is his job to speak God's words. And he comes to the king. He's probably a little nervous coming to the king. But he comes to the king and he starts to tell him a parable because it's good to start with the story. Who knows that? I started with the story today to like ease us into the message today. Like I'm, I'm just following in the footsteps of these guys. And so he tells a story about this guy. And David responds after the story with this. He says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. 
So there's a story of a guy that did something wrong, and David as king, part of his role is he gets to pass judgment. That's his role. He gets to judge. And he passes judgment on this guy that stole and did something that he shouldn't have. And um, as he does that, he passes judgment on the guy, and he's like, this guy really, really screwed up. And then Nathan, the prophet, turns around and says, you are the man you just passed judgment on. You were the one that did the things to rob from another man that you weren't supposed to, to take something that wasn't yours, and then you made it worse, you committed murder on top of it. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Nathan pronounces judgment on David, and I won't read the whole judgment, but he says this, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. That's a pretty harsh judgment. Not that it wasn't deserved, but that's, that's very, very harsh. Nathan comes to him and says, you screwed up, judgment time is here. What you did in secret is now going to be known to all. God knows what you did, everybody else is going to know what you did as well. And here is the moment for David as he receives his judgment. What is his response? Right, the response matters. What is his response going to be? Right, he's king. He can kind of do whatever he wants. Does he shut the prophet up? Does he have his guys come over and kill the prophet? That would have been normal to happen during this time. Does he, you know, just ignore him? He doesn't really care. He's in power anyways. He can do whatever he wants. What does he do? It says in verse 13, six words are his response. I have sinned against the Lord. He owns it in that moment. And now David screwed up on purpose and he committed sin and he committed wrong that we could all say, even outside the church, nobody's going to say what he did was right. He committed wrong and he owned it. Sometimes we commit wrong, sometimes we sin, sometimes we just do it on accident. But I think our response in that moment, just as David's response mattered, our response matters. And there's a lot I think we can learn from his response where he said, I screwed up. I did it. It's true. I accept it. I accept it. Right? In, in our world, there's, there's, there's so much that we can do like, and what we're taught to do. Right? It's just blame the other side. I mean, look at politics. Right? It's no matter which party you like, it's blame the other team, blame the other side. They're the ones that screwed it all up. David could have said it was her fault, it was his fault. He could have just ignored it. He could have done all these things. But his response was, I did it. I screwed up. I'm realizing it right now. I messed up. And I think that response is something that we can learn a lot from. This week, I was, it was a crazy week, and on Wednesday, I, my, my whole meeting schedule and everything kind of got out of order. And so Wednesday, Pastor Tim calls me, and we're, we're talking, or actually maybe I called him, but it was not a scheduled phone call. And so we're talking through some things, and like, it's good. And then in the middle of my call, the Pastor Tim, um, the other Pastor Tim that I know that's on our board for the church uh, calls me unexpectedly. So I tell this one, I was like, I value you, but I gotta go. The board is calling. I'm gonna answer. And so the other Tim calls me, and I pick up his call, and I'm grateful for his time, right? He's busy. And I say, 
Um, and I talk through some things with him, and we get done, and we're supposed to talk next week, and I'm like, he's like, oh, can we keep going? And all of a sudden, I look down at the time, and I realize, nope, we can't keep going. We've got to pick this up next week like was originally planned. I'm out of time. I thought my meeting was at 1.30. My meeting's actually at 1. It's all the way up the peninsula. I have to go. It's like 12.40 right now. There's no way I'm going to make it on time. And so I hang up the phone with him, and I'm literally running through my house, run downstairs to like put my boots on. Allie's like, everything okay? And I'm like, yes, but I'm going to be late. She literally throws me a protein bar that I can grab on the way out the door. I hop on the motorcycle, and I like start heading there. And I, I don't know why, but I took the back streets to the highway, which was the wrong choice because I literally got stuck behind a dump truck on a two-lane road that was going so slow. And I was like, please, I don't need this today. Like, when are you going to turn or when is there a way for me to go around? And I finally get on the freeway and I'm like, okay, I can make up some time. It's the middle of the day. There's not a lot of traffic. Like, I'm on the motorcycle. I can make up some time now on the way to my meeting. How fast do I go right now? And you all are like, I know where this story is going. Except no, I didn't. I didn't. I learned my lesson maybe. I didn't go that fast. I didn't get pulled over. But I'm on my way to my meeting and I'm going up there and I'm starting to run through my head as I start getting closer. Like I've got multiple legitimate excuses for being late. Like the meeting was supposed to be at 1.30 and then that's what I asked for and he changed it. I'm like, I, like I had an important phone call that I had to take. I'm like, okay, how do I organize my response in this situation? I'm meeting with somebody for the very first time that I respect, whose time I value. I'm like, I want to present myself good. It's not good that I'm going to show up late. And I start thinking through it, and I'm like, you know what? It doesn't really matter why I'm late. Like, I am. Like, I think I'm like going over my sermon in my head as I'm like driving up the freeway, and I'm like, maybe I should apply that to myself. And I'm like, okay, I got to the meeting, and I met the guy, and I said, hey, I'm really sorry I'm late. Like, like I, I value your time. I'm sorry that I'm here late. Um, and then we just moved on from it. And if I have another meeting with him, which I think I will, like, I'm going to be there early. I'm going to make sure I change my, my response. But what matters, right, is our response in the moment. You know, our culturally, like, yeah, like, let's make all the excuses. I can pass the blame off. Like, oh, it was an accident. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't commit some grievous sin like David did. It was just this kind of silly moment. But I think even in those moments, it changes our character and who we are. Whether it be with our spouse or our kids or our families or our roommates or at work with our friends, our response even in the not serious moments matters as much as it does with the serious ones, as much as it does as our response to God in our lives. David said, I sinned against the Lord. He owned it. His response mattered. Our response matters. And Nathan responds to David in verse 13, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. I don't have time to get into all the, the, the theology of that, but David gets this judgment and it gets, he gets some mercy in his own life. But the prophet says there's still going to be some consequences, as there often is when we mess up, right? It doesn't mean when we get grace from God and we get mercy from Him, sometimes they go away, away. but sometimes we still have consequences for our actions. And there were consequences for David's actions as well. And he, he goes and he fasts and he prays and he seeks God for, the, for his family. And he comes to this place where he worships God. Even after 
his child dies. As a matter of fact, what he does immediately after is he goes and he worships God. He says, I don't know why, God, you, you didn't save him, but I know you're a merciful God. I know you're a gracious God, and, and I thank you, God, for who you are in my life. And what he does is he writes Psalm 51. And we know this because there's a note that gets written before it that the person that collected the psalms together it was attached to it. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. We know that the, the history that I just shared with you, this is when this was written. At this moment in time that was life-defining for him, when he owns it, his response in the moment, and he says this to God, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Right? He owned it. He screwed up. He knew that he messed up, but he still wants grace. He still wants mercy from God. He asks for it in the moment. He says, God, God, help me. I need your mercy even in this moment. And you can know after all of this just happened, man, he is in an emotional state. And what does he do with that? He goes to God. And he says this in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. He knows his heart is messed up. He knows it's broken. He knows his spirit is not in the right place. And so he's asking God for help. He knows he can't do it on his own. He says, cast not your presence, cast not me from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He's saying, God, I screwed up. I deserve judgment. I deserve to be away from you. But God, I'm asking that it would be different. I'm asking for something different. I, I don't take your spirit from me. And the good news for us is that we live in the time after Jesus. And so the, the debt for our sin has already been paid, even if we sin again. It's already been paid, and so the Holy Spirit will never leave us. God will never leave us. But the heart of David, I think, is really, really important. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And see, for David and for us, right, there is a joy when we come to the salvation of knowing who Jesus is and who he did, what he did for us. When we come at that, that first point in time where we finally accept that what Jesus did was live a perfect life because we couldn't, and what Jesus did was die a death that he didn't deserve because he lived a perfect life for us. And he took the judgment that was supposed to be pronounced against us and he took it for us. And there is such joy in that moment when we accept that and realize that our relationship with God is restored and there's nothing we can do to ever mess that up. We still have to live the right way. We're still supposed to seek him, but there's nothing we can do to mess that up. We always have the Spirit with us. But I think there's also joy in the moments of the salvation, even as David experienced, right? He was already God's in relationship with God, and he messed up again. And there was joy because he once again received the mercy of God. Once again, he received salvation from God. And I think for us as well, right, when we screw up in life, I think, you know, even this week, right, like I'm a pastor, but I'm not perfect. And sometimes I come to God and I say, man, I'm not perfect. This is who I am and when I experience the love of God and the mercy of God, there is a joy that I get to experience anew in the salvation that I know, oh, he still accepts me. I'm still good. And there's joy because of that. And David wraps this up in verse 17 with the heart of it. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David lived in a time where they literally offered sacrifices to God. 
perfect animals would be sacrificed that people would raise. People would spend the money to give the offering to God or to give the sacrifice to God. And what he realized is the same is true for us today. Right? There was a purpose for that, for it to come from the heart of the people to get restored relationship with God. There was a purpose to it, just as there's a purpose to our giving even today. But David realized what God was most after was not the things, but the heart behind the things. He says, what God wants is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. He just got done praying and asking for a clean heart and a renewed spirit. And what he knows is this is where I am, God. This is what I have to offer you. He just got confronted with the prophet that he is not perfect. He's really, really messed up, probably more than, hopefully more than any of us ever have and ever will. And he says to God, this is what I have. And he knows and he learns in this moment what God wants is us to just not hide it, not to run away. What God wants is for us to own it and say, God, this is my heart. It is not perfect. This is my spirit. It is broken, but it is repentant. It is contrite. It is sorry for what I did. And this is what I have to offer you, God. It is not perfect, but this is who I am. And this is what David knows that God wants. He wants our heart. He wants the true who we are. And so when we mess up, what we need to do is respond correctly and what God wants is us and when he we give it to him he gives us the joy of salvation again and what I love about David's story and that is encouraging for us is what comes after because the story is not over David's life wasn't over his ministry wasn't over what God had for him his purpose it wasn't over God had even bigger things in store for him despite what he did because this happens and David moves on from it and then it says, David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name, the son's name, also Jedidiah because of the Lord. So David comforts his wife and they have another kid and the Bible is maybe more descriptive than we even needed there to describe how that happened. And they have another son. The next child, his name is Solomon, and he becomes the next king of Israel. Matter of fact, Nathan comes back to him this time with good news, saying, hey, God has a specific name for your son, Jedidiah, and he's going to have two names, and this is going to be one of his names, his name from God as well. And Solomon builds on the success of his father. He becomes the most successful king in the history of Israel. He becomes the most successful king pretty much in his time in the world, so much so that other world leaders are coming to him for wisdom. They're coming to him to see the wealth and what he has amassed for himself, and they're amazed by what he has done as he builds a beautiful temple for God. He builds a beautiful palace for himself. Like, life is great for Solomon. Unfortunately, things fall apart a little bit after his death. He wasn't perfect either, but there is a legacy that gets left through him. God is the great redeemer. He redeems even the relationship of David and Bathsheba through Solomon. But the story, the legacy gets even better. It says in 1 Chronicles 3, the sons born to David in Jerusalem included Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. Their mother was Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. He has more sons, 
Shamua and Shobab, I think those are super cool names. I don't know if I would name my kid that in America, but like, those are cool names. I don't know. I just really liked them as I was reading. We don't really know what happened to these two sons, but they lived their lives and life was good. But the fourth son stuck out to me this week as I was reading. The fourth son, David goes to his wife and very unexpectedly says, remember that prophet that came to pronounce judgment on me? That prophet who I could have been really angry with, that I could have killed, that prophet that I could have said, I don't want anything to do with what this guy has to say to me. David said, that prophet changed my life. I want to name my son after him. He said, I'm going to name my son Nathan after that guy. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that that's what happened, but I'm, I'm pretty sure something similar to that happened because he didn't just happen to pick the name Nathan. He didn't forget about this guy at this life-defining moment in his life. And so he names the fourth son Nathan. And I think it's important for us, right, our response matters. When we're confronted with our sin and we're confronted with our failures, do we blame others? Do we blame God? Or do we take ownership and learn from it and move on from it, as David did? And David said, you know what, God even redeemed this horrible moment in my life so much so that I'm going to name my son Nathan. The band can come back up here as I finish where this goes. Because in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai. And it goes on, verse, verse, verse. And then it, in verse 31, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Who was David's great-great-grandfather? It was Nathan that was named after the prophet that confronted David. And in the legacy left by David, God, the great redeemer, says even in this situation, I'm going to bring goodness. Because David, unlike Saul, unlike others, you owned it in the moment. You kept trying to cover it up, but eventually you were confronted and you said, you know what? I'm going to respond correctly. I owned it. I did it, God. I'm going to move on. Jesus came in the line of David, in the line of Nathan. Jesus came, he came not to make bad people good, but to bring dead people back to life. He came not to make bad people good, but to bring dead people back to life. And what matters, church, is our response to Jesus. What matters is our response in our situations, whether we messed up on purpose, whether we committed sin, or it was just an accident. Our response in those moments defines us. It defines our relationships. And it's not that to Jesus, oh, I will do better. It's I need your help. Like, give me a new spirit. Give me a new heart. Give me a new mind. Jesus, this is what I've got, and it's broken. And Jesus says to us, through the words of David, this is what God wants. He just wants you to give him your heart, give him your spirit. A broken and contrite heart, a broken and contrite spirit. Jesus, I need you as my Savior. I need you to create a clean heart in me because my heart is broken, my heart is messed up. David had Nathan that came as the prophet of God to speak to David for him to turn his ways. You don't get Nathan. Unfortunately, you get me today on behalf of God saying, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you came today. But God is saying what matters is your response in the moment. Your matters is your response to him.
In life, that's what matters. We're all going to screw up again. We're all not perfect. What defines us, what defines our relationships with God and with others is our responses in the moment. Church, your response matters. If there's sin in your life, your response matters. If you've just done something by accident, it's okay, but your response in that moment matters. If you did something on purpose, it matters. Whether it's to your spouse, whether it's to your family, to your coworkers, to your friend, to God, your response matters. And right now, Jesus is saying, all I want is who you are, a broken and contrite heart and a right spirit. And if you offer that to him, he comes and he meets us in that place because Jesus came to bring dead things back to life. So I'm going to lead us through a prayer here. And if you've never trusted Jesus with your life, right now there's an opportunity. Him saying, I want to restore you back to life. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. I did it for you. I lived the perfect life for you, and I want to restore you back to life. And maybe you've already been following him, but your life isn't perfect either, just like mine. Maybe there's something that you need to come that you've been holding back from God, or you've been holding on to, or your week wasn't perfect. And God is saying, just bring it to me, and I want to lead us through a prayer of bringing that to God, and experiencing at the end of that the joy of salvation, because there is When you come to God as David did, there is joy that comes from it. God is not the God that says, I'm going to just judge you and smash you down. He says, that's needed, but that's not what I want for you. What I want for you is to restore you to new life. What I have is good things for you. What I have is joy for you. So would you guys pray with me right now? Jesus, we pray and thank you for what you have done for us. That you lived a perfect life where we couldn't live a perfect life. And God, we are here right now saying, here is my heart, here is my spirit. It is broken and it is not perfect. But this is all I have, God. Saying our response right now is to own our past, to own our mistakes and our failures. Lord, whether it be against you or against others, and say, God, I need your help right now. Would you create in me a clean heart? Would you renew the spirit within me, God? And I pray right now, God, that you would just bring the joy of salvation to this room, to anybody that listens to this this week, Lord, that you would bring the joy of salvation in this place, that we can experience the goodness of a new heart and a renewed mind and a renewed spirit right now. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to respond. I want to invite you guys to stand up right now. And I want us to sing praise to God, right? Because there is joy that comes at the end of this. Maybe this is a little bit of a serious message, but there's joy that comes at the end of it because God took a broken people. He took imperfect people. He took dead people and he raised them back to life. And no matter what you've done, there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's mercy in our lives. What's dead is made new in God. And the grave of Jesus that was empty is the proof for us today. Freedom is there for us today, and that freedom is a sign to the world that God is alive and he is moving for us. You are living in me. Your presence is in me. So would you sing these words out? Because it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your past. There is forgiveness right now for us. There is joy for us right now in this moment. And I want us to leave here in that joy. I want us to lift that up to God to say, thank you for what you have done because I was broken and I am made new again in you.
Thank you for joining us on the Tekoa Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and let God do the work only he can do. We hope it helped you wherever you are at in your faith journey. We want to connect with you if you're going through something difficult or looking to be a part of our church community. Fill out the Tekoa card on our Connect page, tekoachurch.org connect. While there, you can also see the most up-to-date information in the life of our church. A special thank you to those of you who give to Tekoa. Your sacrifice makes this podcast and our Sunday gatherings possible, as well as creates life change throughout the world. You can be a part of this by going to tekoachurch.org giving. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Until next time, blessings.